Good evening, all you movers and shakers and indie art makers. This is Jay Michaels in the Passion Pit. We are approaching Halloween, ladies and gentlemen, and In the Dark, the special section of my podcast that examines the macabre movers and shakers of indie film and stage, has several storytellers to enthrall you. First, we have Kat Parker, artistic director of Articulate Theatre Company, and she has a production of Dr. Frankenstein, opening in New York. Then we have Chris Williams. He's created a web series more frightening than anything else. It combines the elements of horror with racism and prejudice. Then we have filmmakers Marcus Slavine and Jeremiah Kipp, and they will share with us about their latest indie horror films and how they connect to the real horrors out there. We'll hear from Kat right after this. You'd like to attend more live performances, but who knows which shows are worth the time, money, and hassle. At Oplod, you'll find unbiased two or three minute video reviews that make the decision easy. Use offer code J, that's J-A-Y, by December 31st, 2019, for six months free unlimited access, a $59 value. Sign up now at Oplod.com. That's O-P-P-L-A-U-D dot com. In the Passion Pit also welcomes a new sponsor to the program, DLW Photography. That stands for Dan Lane Williams Photography, that is. Dan Lane is a brilliant photographer with years of experience as a photographer and as an actor. Why is that important? Because he understands what you want in photos. Headshots, press shots, archive shots. His acumen and understanding turns out compelling imagery sure to get that gig or that listing, and make a dream come true. And he also photographs life events as well. So get him to do your headshot, then the press shot for the show it gets you, and then your wedding, since the producer will fall in love with you. Visit www.dlwphotographynyc, one big word, dot com, and tell them Jay sent you. Hello, Kat Parker. Hello, how are you? Very well. This is Jay Michaels. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Hurrah. My second favorite place to be. <laughs> Congratulations, oh, yeah. and we, we yeah, meet again. First. <laughs> I think I know what's first, and we're going to talk about what's first. Um, Yay! Congratulations on it. I am utterly thrilled on so many different levels. Dr. Frankenstein. Oh. And this is, is this is a new play. It absolutely is. You would think that there couldn't be a new perspective on Dr. Frankenstein and, and his tale, but uh, George Allison has found one, surprisingly, and it's really uh, uh, an amazing new perspective. I can't wait for people to see it. Well, you're talking to the wrong guy on, on saying I, you can't believe that there's a new perspective. I'm, I'm now called a horror historian thanks to a television show I'm part of. And and I have seen Frankenstein go from from uh, from uh, uh, 
Thomas Edison's silent film to Boris Karloff, all the way through to Andy Warhol and beyond. Uh, what's new, what's interesting about uh, George Ellison's Dr. Frankenstein? This is the story of the real Victor Frankenstein. Um, so it's not anybody else's story. It's about what happened to the poor doctor whose name was Victor Frankenstein when Mary Shelley's book was um, originally published. I mean, can you imagine re reading that story and uh, and then having to pick between seeing a Dr. Smith or Dr. Victor Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah. His, his, his job went right down. <laughs> Is there any? Is this based on a true story? Is this based on any kind of facts, in any way? It's based on on uh, many many facts um, woven together with poetic license. Oh, that's great! Oh my gosh, that's wonderful! Yeah, yeah. Um, we get we get to hear about his uh, his mentor, Doctor James Lynn, who was a uh, uh, who was a doctor to the royal household back in the day in his in his eighteen uh, early eighteen twenties. Um, he was uh, his uh, cousin, who was also named James Lynn, because things weren't as original, I guess. Saul um, Scurvy on the high seas. These are all very real people, and uh, all that is woven into uh, George's play. This is so fascinating because uh, 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 the great monster's uh, counterpart, uh, Dracula, uh, the whole notion of Dracula changed once we, we all understood who, who Vlad the Impaler was. So, wow, mm -hmm. you, you stand the chance of changing an entire genre now because Frankenstein will now be something new if we actually have a human being to look at in terms Isn't of this. is that amazing? Wow. I just love it. So, so yeah, you'd think there's nothing new. No, I always knew there was something, and you found something quite brilliant, uh, uh, the, the, the true story, if you will. <laughs> well, George found something brilliant, and I found George. So I'll take a secondary credit for take, it. Take the credit. There you go. And speaking of credit, tell tell our listeners about Articulate Theater Company, how this play works with what you do and, and the magic that you create. Well, um, Articulate sort of, I don't know what you call it, your, our, our uh, log line maybe is, is the right terminology, but it is myth, magic, and the mundane. So what we like to do is take stories that uh, have either a mythical element to it that is then brought down to, to the um, mundane human level, you know, where we all live day to day. Or you take a mundane story and, and uh, just rise it up to the level of uh, mythic proportions. And this story just fits that bill to a T because this story that we all think we know and love of, uh, about uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein it's just the very definition of an epic story. It has been around for so long in, in, in our social mythology at, at every level. Even people who have never read the book or seen a movie think they know that story because it's so much a part of our, our uh, um, understanding. Oh, of course. And yet, and yet this story brings it down to the very human, mundane level of a man who's just trying to survive in his time frame. Uh, and they get blown up by, you know, their version of social media at the time, you know. Oh, indeed. He, he does, yeah, he does something, and uh, somebody else takes those facts and blows it way out of proportion and tells a billion people. And uh, every, everything good he had ever done is blown straight out of the water. I, I hear the term all the time, magical realism as a, a new style of, of theater, if you will. And it sounds to me like Articulate does this by by 
by putting amazing things into details that we, we never would imagine would be real or whatever, or vice versa, showing us how accessible uh, uh, the wildest of fantasies could possibly be. It sounds like uh, Dr. Frankenstein fits that bill just perfectly. Articulate is heavily influenced um, by uh, Circle Rep Theater, Marshall Mason and and uh, his entire, I was going to say crew, but it just went so so far beyond that. Uh, and, of course, that was with Lambert Wilson, who kind of coined the term, his plays coined the term of uh, magical realism. So I'm I'm honored that you would equate that with us, and and uh, and I think that everybody involved with us really loves the element of theatrical magic that good theater can bring. You know, I mean, film film is wonderful in its own own right, but it can't do what theater can do, and that's involving the audience directly, and uh, and bringing them a, a structure with which to hang their hat on and uh, to hang their imagination on, and they help us build that world. And, of course, we start doing, you know, everything we can um, on the stage itself. Uh, but then we also are updated because, you know, obviously Frankenstein is about technology and, and pushing the limits of technology. And so the people who are involved with this now, uh, what you'll see on the stage is also an advancement of technology, you know, the proje- projections and videos and um, in interesting use of light and uh this is a developmental run i should say it's our hopes for our next level uh when we get a little bit more um weight behind it is to explore some um uh, augmented reality vision to be able to use in the place so the people who are out in the audience actually see a little bit more uh than they uh, can see right in front of them with their own eyes oh that's so cool <laughs> What's, what's the obstacles? What's the obstacles in this? I'm a horror movie lover, as you know. I'm, I, I adore the genre, so, so I'm fascinated by every part of your production. What's the obstacles in putting Dr. Frankenstein on stage? I think um, one obstacle or, or challenge, maybe, is, is, a, is a better word, for me anyway, is, uh, is the fact that everybody thinks they know the story. You know, when we when we uh, say things about Dr. Frankenstein, we always add the little tagline of "What if Mary Shelley got it wrong on purpose?" Because we want people to know that this is not a, a regular telling of the Frankenstein story that people are used to. Because um, people will bring their own sort of baggage to it, and and that's good and bad because you know, a they might you know choose not to come because they think that they know this story already, and they don't. Um, but then if they do come anyway, what happens is um, they bring that baggage in, and now they're challenged, and they get to take get to take the box, the prism, at the, which you're looking at the story through, and we're just going to camp it just a little bit to the left <laughs> and a little bit to the right and a little bit upside down so that everybody who thinks they know the story gets to have that challenge to themselves. I it's think, pretty cool. I think that's going to be a, a lesser challenge than you think, thanks to – Thanks to Hammer Films and, and, and Peter Cushing becoming the, the, the face of Dr. Frankenstein as of the 50s, he, the, the character itself has so much more persona, so much more reality. So, so I think people yeah, are, are yeah. clamoring for, for something like this to see yet the next level of the creator. And it's interesting you talk technology because we're, we're all creators now. We all have these software in our hands. And so to, to see what it meant to be a creator 100 years ago is, is pretty fascinating. 
It, yes, absolutely. And and Victor Frankenstein was certainly a man ahead of his time. And we know what can happen to people like that. People who try to buck the trend or, you know, bring science to a front that, that society is not ready for. Uh, and uh, sometimes they can be accepted and sometimes, you know, it just goes by the wayside. And speaking of ready, uh, you now have your own space. You're you're bringing you're readying a new space with a new play. Oh, good. Why don't you Why don't you give yourself more to do? Uh, <laughs> I thought you know who needs sleep, right? Yeah, really. Up to, exactly. So someone once wrote to me and said, "I'll sleep when I'm dead." I was like, "Okay, I'll take it." Exactly. Uh, uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead, and then Victor will resurrect me. And, and, and then you'll do the show again. This is developmental, so he can do it again. Uh, <laughs> How's the new space? Uh, you're coming into this new space. How how is it to 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 take your your marvelous company and put it into this this new space? You're part of a collective there, so you're part of many different companies in this space. Right. It's the West End Theater Consortium um, within the uh, Church of uh, St. Paul and St. Andrews. It's on 86th Street, right off of. Um, uh, West End, so it's like at the one train stop at 86, it's like half a block away, so that part, uh, from a practical point of view, is just perfect. But from a uh, architectural and design point of view, I mean, it, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have happened at a better time, because the architecture of this church is just amazing, and this space that they have, I mean, the church is huge, and this part that we're in has been used as a theater for uh, decades, I think, you know, so it's not in the sanctuary of the church, it's, it's, this, it's this other place, but it's pretty large, and it has this amazing dome, and the back wall is curved, which is just perfect for us, it just has this sort of gothic feel to it, that I think really um, serves as this most beautiful setting for our jewel of a play, if you'll. I was going to say, so let's see now. You're moving into this beautiful Gothic theater that is actually a theater. You're not having to, to, to move anything around or cover anything up. So you're moving into this gorgeous Gothic theater uh, to put on this gorgeous Gothic play. Okay, well, that's that's a, a, a happy coincidence right there. It, it, you know, sometimes you, you speak something out to the universe and then things just start rolling into place, and it's kind of amazing how it all came together. Oh, I believe that completely, completely. Um, so uh, now, now here's an interesting question. Whenever I speak to people about off-off-Broadway, when I speak to them about independent theater, they all imagine Midtown. Uh, downtown is this cutting edge. Oh, you're downtown. Oh, you must be cutting edge, whatever. It's that stereotype there. Well, they think, okay, uh, indie theater, okay, that's all Midtown. We're going probably from about 38th Street to somewhere in the 50s, and that's it. You're up in the, in the fashionable Upper West Side. Uh, how, how does that feel? Is that, is that a, what's the feel, what's the vibe of doing a show up there? So one of the most amazing things is that I think the way we think of, of artists living in, in Brooklyn or, you know, uh, the Lower East Side these days, there was a time when they were all moving up to the Upper West Side. Because that's where the artists could go, right? right? And that's where they could afford to live. Well, they stayed there. So there is so many artists up there with uh, painters and singers and uh, and other theater people that the uh, the vibe couldn't be more welcoming. There is um, a, a bar across the street because there's always a bar across the street from every theater. Of course. Uh, and they, they have just been uh, amazing. And every time you go in there, I meet four more artists around. 
uh, symphony space isn't far away, so there's there's a lot of uh, art going on. And this church, the the church of St. Paul St. Andrew, I'm not necessarily advocating for a church, but they are um, amazing in their social um, outlook and their mission. And so they have spaces all over the place for artists to do things within that uh, within their church. You know, it's part of their their mission statement to include artists in the uh, outreach within uh, within their local society and their larger society. So the the vibe is really welcoming and um, and challenging because you know if you're going to have a bunch of theater people in your audience, they're going to have some standards that they want you to meet. Oh, so, yes. so we're looking forward we're looking forward to, to meeting and uh, hopefully exceeding those standards. I'm, I'm glad you said that about standards. Now, firstly, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that about the church. I, my encounters a lot of times with religious organizations that house theaters is they're somewhat exclusionary. They, they, they do it for all the wrong reasons, and, and the actors don't necessarily profit by it. I'm so glad you're, you're not in that situation. You're in one that understands the value of art. Uh, now, we, we, we scoped that out before we um, agreed to move in as part of the consortium. You know, that was a worry that I would have have been nothing but um, but open arms and saying, you know, you do, you do you. <laughs> That's great. Now, what did you mean when you said standards rise to their standards? What's what's the standards you're rising to? What are you what's what are you looking at? Well, with theater people, they 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 know what you're doing, and they have a um, a body of work behind them that they bring into the equation. And so um, I think that their standard of, of telling a story and their expectations of what you can do um, are typically higher than, than uh, a regular audience member. Uh, and so I try to set my sights to win those people over uh, as well, you know, <laughs> to bring them into the mix as well, because uh, uh, they're going to have higher expectations. And the higher we can go, the better, the more of a challenge it is for us and when we strive to meet that challenge, then we're just constantly exceeding our, our own expectations. Do you you think know, it pushes us um, with, the, with telling the story, with, with the, the staging, with the use of the production values. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to start telling the story from the street, you know, posters and uh, um, the, the, the programs. Is it going to be like any program you've ever seen? Uh, it's going to be a lot more about medical notes. Let me just Oh, that's so cool. Throw that little teaser out there. So it starts the street, and the whole world is going to be sucking you into uh, Victor's story. Now, now you say standards. The standards. Uh, I'm thinking your neighborhood there. Yes, Symphony Space. You're also uptown from Lincoln Center. You're also uh, you're you're just in a very high class section of town. Uh, do you think you can woo in that audience? Do you think you can woo in that neighborhood? Oh, I I think so. Absolutely. I, I plan to, to do that. I mean I think I think that sometimes um, how to say this nicely, sometimes people can have an impression of what off off or indie theater is, you know, as being um, you know, three black boxes and uh, you know, two lamps to light it up that somebody brought from their house. And right. And we have progressed so far past that, and by we, I mean the whole independent theater scene. You know, there's so many people who are using 
um, projections and video and uh, amazing new uh, lighting techniques and uh, uh, technology that uh, now fits in the palm of our hand for so many things that, that I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised by what they get to see on that stage and how they all see the use of that space uh, in a way that uh, they perhaps haven't in the past. You know, the, uh, the set that we're building kind of goes up and arches over the top of the stage a little bit, and that's where projections, some projections will be shown um, that you won't even know where they're coming from. That's so great. Yeah, I, I think it's just going to be fascinating to everybody, and, and I hope that the technology fascinates them for the two minutes that they're sitting before the show starts, and then I hope they forget all about it and get sucked into the story. So, so you're taking a, a classic character and turning it on its its sewn together ass uh, uh, <laughs> to to create yet a new story of Doctor Frankenstein. You are taking all of this into a gothic theater that you're putting uh, projections into, so that the audience is going to see great pillars, and on those pillars we're going to see projections and all of this. And you're doing it in a neighborhood that is used to the symphony, the opera, and the ballet. How are you? How seriously? How's it going for you? What's now? Now you're leading this this ship onto this golden shore. How's it for you? I, I find I keep using the word amazing, but it, it just it, it really is. I, I mean, it is challenging. Don't get me wrong. I spend uh, uh, a fair amount of each day stressed out trying to get uh, uh, every you know all the ducks in a row. Uh, but it's because we always try to do it. We're, we're always pushing the envelope. I know that sounds like a, an old-fashioned phrase, but um, it, it applies in this. And when we go to the symphony, when we, we worked at Symphony Space before, uh, last year we did, we, we learned from those places, and we let them challenge us and make us better, and then we're going to bring our own brand of what we do uh, to show them how we can challenge them as well. And I think I think it's going to be very complimentary to what the Upper West Side already has. Uh, I think that we're going to be able to give them a slice that's maybe uh, missing uh, in, in, the, uh, in that area, uh, but also something that supplements whatever what everybody else is already doing there. We're going to we're gonna sit right in and then poke our heads up above the, the waterline a little bit. That's gorgeous. <laughs> that is absolutely gorgeous. That's exactly, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's great that you're, you're, you're setting, you're, you're walking into that tone, but you're going to actually raise, uh, you're, you're going to add more notes to the symphony that's already up there. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to add our own brand of notes. You know, we're, we're not trying to, to shoot out at anybody. We, we like to work together, and, uh, and I think it will be – I don't know. I just, I just really think people are going to be amazed when they see this production. And I know I'm biased, but heck, that's, that, it works for me. You're supposed to be <laughs> the artistic director. Hello. Exactly, uh, yes. How is it getting the actors into, into this type of, of frame? Because they come with the same – stereotype, if you will, of the Frankenstein monster and everything they've seen. How do you, uh, was, it, was it an easy feat? Was it, is it difficult? Because you're also directing this, yes? 
yes, yes, I am. I, I wouldn't let anybody else <laughs> do this one. This one was, had my fingerprints all over it from day one. Well, of course, you only had, um, you had 15 minutes each day. You might as well put it somewhere. Um, that's right. There you go. Uh, how is it you to know, lead them into this? You know, one thing is, is, on one hand, it's kind of a crash course for them because, you know, I've been working on this play for a, a year and a half, you know, and I've been I've watched it go through different iterations, and I've come to know these characters in this world uh, very well. And so then these um, actors end up walking into it, you, you know, with six weeks to, to mush all that together. Uh, but, I, but I always say that at the beginning of rehearsal, I know – so much more about the characters than the actors do. And then halfway in between, like right about now, they start knowing so much more about their characters than I do, uh-huh. um, which is which is great because then I, I get to explore the whole big package of what the story is, and they start bringing all of their interpretations to it as well. So it's, just, it's you know, you know, theater, it's just a, it's a multi-layered um project that just keeps getting more and more complex as it gets simpler. The storyline gets simpler as it gets pulled together and everybody gets on the same page, but it's more nuanced. It's more layered. And yes, they absolutely brought their own understanding and, and baggage of what Frankenstein is. Um, but, you know, these are these are skilled professional actors and they, they know that they come in and you kind of have to wash your hands of that and accept that you're walking into a world that has its own criteria, its own parameters, its own rules, its own um, beliefs. And, you know, you have to walk in there. Uh, John Blaylock, who plays our Victor Frankenstein, has to uh, toss off a lot of that baggage um, and say, this is me. Uh, I am, he, he, these are actual lines at one point. He says, I am, I am a man. I am a scientist. I I have my own story that needs to be told, and I need you to hear it. Wow. And, and, and so the, the actual act of an actor casting off baggage is exactly what the character is trying to do to the audience. That's just what I was thinking you know? when you quoted it, yes. He, he, Victor Frankenstein brings together the only group of people he feels will understand him, and that's his colleagues, his his doctors, his scientists, the other people who who understand facts, um, and he says, "I'm going to tell you my story because you will believe facts where where most people believe fiction." You know, and there are lines in this play that are oh so very apt for today. You know, he 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 says, um, "You know, I'm trying to find this actual one, but this actual line." But he says on there, um, to the people of London, fact no longer mattered when fiction was more fascinating. Isn't it amazing how people are drawn to the crude, the base, the fabricated more than true? Now, if that's not speaking to today's society, I don't know what it is. I am not. You know? I, 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 I can't. Uh, the, the moment you said it, I got chills because that's, we're living in the world of fake news and alternative facts. We're, yeah. we're, we're living in the world where, where a, a TV host is running the country and the world. So, wow, that's, 
you, it, I, I've, I've always said that the, the, the horror genre are cautionary tales. We need to look at them like we look at Greek tragedies. And the stories that you hear in them uh, are, are basically what's going on around us, just, just overdone, if you will. And, and it sounds like right. you, have, you have found the perfect cautionary tale with Dr. Frankenstein. It is the mundane made mythic. And then reduced back down when, when an audience interacts with it and takes that information home with them. And, and says, oh, yeah. And there's the articulate mission right there. <laughs> Yay! We come full circle. Okay, now, coming full circle, I have, I've spoken to a lot of people today. Today's Today's my day for interviews. I've spoken to a lot of people today, and somehow I've, I've managed to get this one question in because it seems every conversation leads to it somewhere. Uh, what drives you? Uh, I, 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 I'm uh, Theater, from what I'm told, doesn't make a lot of money. Uh, uh, and and it's, yeah. it's usually, it's usually a, 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 a jobs of thousands done by, by just a few people. Uh, what drives you? With, with, with all that stuff behind it, what drives you? Why do you do it? It, it is, um, it is, uh, it's going to sound corny, but it, it is just the love of story and the knowledge that telling a story um, to a bunch of people in the same room under the same light, uh, to that moment in time, we're all sharing their space with you. Um, then it's not about what they read or what they they believe of X people generically. They are there with you, breathing the same oxygen, and now we're interacting, and now we're sharing a story. And then they walk out, they go to the bar across the street, and they talk about it. And it grows and grows and grows. We always say that the story just never ends when the lights come up at the end. You know, the story... The, the whole purpose of the story then is to be continued out into a conversation um, into the world. And that's what drives me is, is at, the, at a very small level, it is when I stand um, listening to an audience while they're listening to the story. And, and it's not applause. It's not laughter. It's this, this little sound that an audience will make when they're hooked. And they just kind of lean forward and they go, ah. It's just this little tiny gasp when they recognize themselves in a storyline somehow. And then when they're arguing, as they're going out the street, no, he was saying this, it meant this. No, no, she said that, it meant that. That's what I love. That's what drives me. You are a high priestess in the theater. Sorry? You're a high priestess in the theater. You, Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, it's funny you're in a church. Because your mission is to is to present these these well staged sermons and and educate us about ourselves. I, you know, I I'm not sure I feel comfortable grabbing the title of high priestess, but I I, 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 I do love the thought of being a communicator. You know, one of the uh, the the definitions of the word articulate is is that kind of a hub, that point where two independent things uh, come together in order to move in different ways. Like where your elbow is, it moves two different bones. That's where how you articulate. And so we've always used that as um, a reference to the fact that we use our talents and our resources to articulate a story from a page to a stage and then 
we get out of, we connect it to an audience. And then they articulate it out into the world. So it starts way back with George and a piece of paper, and it ends, I don't know where, but certainly not at the stage door, as it keeps going out into conversations. And a year from now, somebody says, wow, you remember when we saw that Frankenstein thing, and that guy said that? I remember that really, really well. It stuck with me. <clears throat> that's, and that's, that's the connective tissue. I was going to say, and that's the magic. And that's, and that's yeah. the magic in magic realism. Uh, that's yeah. great. Kat, it is always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, I will be oh. in that audience. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I've seen every I've seen every Frankenstein movie or anything. <laughs> so to not be there is sacrilege. So I, I must be there at some point. I wish you all the best with it for opening, which is which is next week. I'll make sure our listeners know exactly when November when it's happening. 8th. That's yeah. correct. Uh, and I'll make sure where they need to go and, and how to get there and that it's they shouldn't stop at 42nd Street. They need to go up 40 more blocks to, to your amazing theater. Uh, That's right, and it's an easy ride. The one train opens up right there. Indeed, indeed. Uh, have a great time with this. I look forward to seeing it, and thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you, Jay. Thanks so much for calling. My pleasure. Ciao. While the vein is thinnest, look for my interview with Chris Williams next on In the Dark, In the Passion Pit. Let's exit to the music of my favorite monster film studio, Hammer Films. And what's the movie? <laughs> the Curse of, wait for it, Frankenstein. Till next time, on behalf of all the ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night, I'm Jay Michaels.